Today, I want to talk about something that has, has literally been part of the, the book itself from, from start to finish, and, and yet we haven't really paid uh, specific attention to it uh, up to this point. And, and it's not just part of the book of Acts, but I mean, it's, it's just part of the whole story of redemption from the very beginning uh, all the way to where we are at this present moment in history. And it's, it's really the, the issue of faith. Um, we've, we've seen faith over and over again here in the book of Acts, but we haven't really stopped and looked really specifically at that topic. So that's what we're going to do today. And, and the title of the message today is The Gospel and the Life of Faith, because these two things go hand in hand. And um, I, we receive the gospel by, by faith, we, we experience it by faith, we live it out by faith, we, we uh, proclaim it by faith, and you know, faith is just that massive component that is, uh, it's essential to our lives as believers. And so we're going to be focusing on that today. Um, but as we talked about the gospel, and how the gospel advances, we've seen that on the one hand, uh, God is the one who is advancing the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's no question that, you know, in the biblical record and the long history of the church, as the gospel moves forward, God is the one who is, uh, you know, driving that. He's moving it forward. But we can't overlook the fact that God uses people. And so as God is the one who is advancing uh, the gospel through the power of the Spirit, he is using people who are acting in faith to accomplish that. He's using his servants and they're, uh, you know, taking steps of faith. They're going out in ventures of faith. They're, They're living by faith and that's how things are progressing. Now, just a quick overview to uh, j- just look for a minute at Acts. As I said, we've never really focused on this uh, particular aspect that we see all through the book, but let me just walk you through um, the book really quickly, not every example, but a number of examples of where we see faith being exercised. And I'll start with the healing of the lame man. It's recorded for us in the third chapter. Don't bother turning there or anything. We'll go really quickly, but it's, it's recorded there where uh, there's a man, uh, Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. There's a man who is lame. He's been in that condition for 38 years. He's asking for alms, and maybe you remember, Peter stops, he looks at him, and he says, silver and gold I do not have, uh, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter reaches down, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up. The man uh, begins to rejoice. He's, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. And everybody around is going, wow, what, how did this happen? And, and yet when you look at it, you realize that Peter took a step of faith. You know, he had a sense as he's walking by this man that God wanted to do something extraordinary. And, and he could have just thought, oh, that's a, that's a weird thought. I'm not going to go with that. I've got to get to the temple to pray. But he didn't do that. He took the step of faith and said, I- I'm going to just call out a healing on this guy right here. 
And so we see faith there. Now, as a result of this, uh, these guys ended up in trouble with the authorities. They were arrested a few times. And then when we come to about the fifth chapter, we have a case where they're put in jail. And then they're supernaturally released from jail. And the angel who releases them says, now go back to where you were arrested and continue to preach the gospel. Now, remember, they were arrested for preaching the gospel, but he says, go back to that very same place and keep doing what you're doing. Now, this would take faith because reason would say, well, you know, that's not really a good idea. We probably shouldn't go back to the same place where we were before because we're going to get arrested again. But by faith, they're saying, okay, we're going to do what you said, even though it might not make sense, and we're going to trust you. So they were exercising faith with that. As we go on in the story, we come to a man named Philip, and there in the eighth chapter, maybe you remember, uh, Philip goes to a place called Samaria, and there's a great work of God's spirit that begins to take place in Samaria. Philip's the instrument, largely through which this great thing is happening. And then kind of in the middle of it, all of a sudden, uh, God speaks to him and says, now, I want you to leave this, and I want you to go to the desert. And Philip goes. Now, the, the Lord doesn't tell him why he wanted him to go there. He just said, I want you to go there. And, and yet when he gets down there, he finds that there is this caravan and there's this, uh, this uh, government official from Ethiopia. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's uh, connected to the queen of Ethiopia. He's traveling back. He's actually reading the scriptures. He's reading about uh, this one who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He's wondering, who is this about? And all of a sudden, Philip comes alongside and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says, no, I, I don't know. What am I reading and who am I reading about? And Philip comes up, tells him that he's reading about Jesus, tells him the story of Jesus, and ends up baptizing him. And so this guy goes back to Ethiopia as a believer in Jesus. And he's a government official. So, but the point is this, uh, Philip had to take a step of faith to do that. He had to, to leave what seemed to be like the place where everything was happening and go to a place that didn't seem like anything was happening, but God had a plan. So Philip did that. And so we see faith exercised there. Uh, we see faith exercised in a man named Ananias after the conversion of Saul. Remember Saul is, he was previously, or he was Saul, Saul became Paul. And, um, but at this time, he was uh, imprisoning Christians. He was putting Christians to death. Uh, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He comes to Damascus, and there's a man named Ananias there. And the Lord appears to him and says, I, I want you to go, and I want you to lay hands on Saul. He's praying. And Ananias says, are you sure that's a good idea, Lord? I mean, I, I've heard about this guy. I heard that he was coming here to actually arrest. He's done this in other places. I heard he's coming here to imprison people and to persecute. And Jesus says to Ananias, don't worry about it. Just do what I said. Uh, he's my chosen vessel. But here's the point. Ananias did it. He, he exercised faith. He said, okay, this doesn't really sound like the best plan, but Lord, since you said it, I'm going to go do it. And so we see the faith of Ananias there. And uh, we see a similar uh, manifestation of faith with Peter, when Peter goes into the house of a Roman centurion, Cornelius. At this point, the gospel's only been 
uh, limited to, to a Jewish audience. Even the Samaritans were kind of connected to the Jews. But now it's going to go over into the Gentile world, and Peter's going to be the guy to do it. And the Lord sends him to the house of this Roman centurion. And even Peter, when he gets there and he starts to go in the house, he says, you know, it's really not lawful for me to do this, but God told me that I shouldn't question it. I should just go do it. And so that's what I'm doing. And so he does. He preaches the gospels. Cornelius comes to faith with his household. But then when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, his, all of his uh, you know, fellow workers there, they they couldn't believe what, I did, what he did. They said, you, you went into the house of a Gentile? What were you thinking? You shouldn't have done that. Peter said, well, the Lord told me to do it. So, you know, Peter knew that his friends would not approve of what he was about to do, but God was telling him to do it. So what did he do? He took a step of faith and he went and did it. And the blessing ensued from that. And then as the story goes on, we see Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they were sent out from uh, Antioch on their missionary journeys, the Spirit spoke as they were uh, gathered together praying. The Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. You know, how would, think about yourself. So you're in a prayer meeting and all of a sudden somebody next to you says, uh, you know, the Lord wants to separate, you know, a couple of names here and he wants to send you out. Now you have to either say, uh, wow, I think God's speaking and I want to go do that. Or say, this person next to me is kind of crazy and I, I would never do that. <laughs> well, if you did the latter, then you would be missing out on the faith opportunity and not exercising faith. So they had to have faith to go do that. Paul goes out. We've been through all of these different stories. Uh, there's a certain point where he has a dream that there's a man in Macedonia that's saying, come over here and help us. At this point, Macedonia is in Greece, so it would be on what we know today as the European continent. And at this point, the gospel hasn't gone that far, but Paul has this dream. And so he shares it with his friends. And again, this is one of those things. It's a mysterious thing. We don't know anybody there. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go. And what happens? They go. And they end up uh, meeting some people, and a church gets established in Philippi, and then Thessalonica, and Athens, and all, all of these different places. But it all happened um, by faith. And then one more example with Paul in Corinth. He comes to Corinth. Uh, he's been persecuted in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in uh, Berea. And uh, he has a little bit of reprieve in Athens, but then he comes to Corinth, and Paul is he's sort of just like, you know, I don't want to get persecuted again. I don't want to get beaten. I don't want to get stoned. I don't want to get put in jail again. And the Lord said, the Lord appears to him and says, keep speaking. Don't, don't be afraid. I've got many people in this city. And Paul does that very thing by faith. He just says, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And he does it. And this great church is established there in Corinth. What's my point? My point is all of this stuff was done by faith. And then Paul, in writing to the Corinthians later, writing back to them, he, he describes his own experience. And I want you to think about the description of his experience. And I want you to think about this in the context of faith. This is what he says. He says, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and 
often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and on and on. And why would anybody do that? And, and how would you do that? When you look at the situation and you think, man, this is dangerous. You know, th- this, is, this is perilous, actually. And he describes all of these different perils. In the earlier portion of this passage, he talks about his own suffering. That, um, you know, we have this, this record here. We didn't go uh, all the way with the story. We'll pick that up later. But, um, you know, he's shipwrecked. That's where they end up in the story here. They end up shipwrecked. And, uh, but he, he says that he was shipwrecked, not just this one time, but he was shipwrecked another time that we have no record of. Paul just mentions it. And there he mentions all of these different difficulties and challenges that he faced. And again, the question is, how do you do this? And the answer is, you do it by faith. You see, Paul believed, as he stated there in um, the, the 25th verse, he said, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And that's the way the gospel goes forward. Because you see, the gospel is always going to be met with opposition, and it can only be advanced by faith, and that's true in our lives personally. It's true in the life of the local congregation. It's true in the bigger picture of the, the universal body of Christ. And so it's here in the story uh, that we see the beautiful picture of Paul is putting into words, that sentence that I just read, he's putting into words the faith that brought him to where he was and that would carry him all the way to the end. I believe God. That, that, was, that was it. That's how Paul did what he did. And that's how we will do what we will do for the glory of God. And so I want us to look at uh, three things in regard to this. I want us to look at um, faith in, for our own personal progress. I want us to look at faith for the, the welfare, the benefit, the blessing, and the um, progress of the church. And then I want us to look at the, the bigger, bigger picture of faith for the kingdom. So, beginning with personally, did you know, do you realize that in order to progress as a Christian, you, you, you do that by faith? That's, that's how you do it. You believe God. You believe what God said about things. Now, of course, we become Christians through faith, right? Unless you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin, rose again from the dead, and is the savior of the world, um, you're, you're outside of the blessing, the plan, the purpose, the family of God. How do you get into God's family? You get into it by believing that. That's faith. So the Christian life starts with faith, but it doesn't just start with faith. The Christian life moves forward by faith as well. And this is where we have to understand that whether it's peace or holiness or godliness or fruitfulness, this all comes through believing certain things. So it comes as I believe the truth of God's word. Now, if I don't believe, then 
it's going to be hard for me to experience the peace of God. It's going to be hard for me to grow in holiness. It's going to be hard for me to become godly. It's going to be hard for me to bear fruit. Not only is it going to be hard, it's going to be impossible. So we have got to believe. And we have got to believe things like this. We've got to believe simply that we're forgiven. You know, if you don't really believe you're forgiven, you're going nowhere. You're stuck. Because that's just constantly nagging you. That's constantly hindering you. It's a constant uh, suggestion that, you know, you can't do anything because you've got all these sins and these issues and, and all of that. So I have to believe that, no, I'm forgiven. You know, we don't always feel forgiven, do we? How, what do you do when you don't feel forgiven? Let's say you commit a... a a serious sin, and then you go, God, please forgive me for this, but you don't feel any different. Well, you know, if you go by feelings, then you're just stuck. You're stuck right there. Like, I don't know if God forgave me. I don't think he did forgive me. I, I don't see how God could forgive me. I wouldn't forgive me if I was God. And so you're stuck. You can't proceed. How do you get out of that rut? You say, I don't care how I feel. God said he forgives me. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I believe that, and therefore, I move forward. You see, that, that's how it works. To, to progress personally, we have to believe these things. So whether it's I've sinned and I need forgiveness, or you know I feel insecure, I have to believe that God loves me, um, I have to have faith in uh, the call of God upon my life. It, because, you know, there's so many things that are going to uh, be there to suggest the opposite. Now, remember, there's a devil. And the devil doesn't want anybody progressing in their faith at all. It, you know, if you get saved, that's, a, you know, for the devil, that is like a doggone it. You know, how did oh, we let that one get away? You know, man, and, you know, he'd just go to his demons. Look, you know, you, you messed that one up, but here's what I want you to do. Don't let them grow. Don't let them progress. Do everything you can to stop them from maturing. That, that's, that's happening in the invisible world. That, that's what the enemy does. And so how do we get beyond that? How do we push back against that? How do we not get defeated by those efforts of the devil we believe God. No, no, I, I believe I've forgiven. I, I believe I'm loved. I don't feel lovable, but you know what? I believe God loves me because he said he loves me. And called? I don't know. How could God use me? I mean, what, why would God call me? I, I feel so unworthy. I feel so unable. But guess what? I believe God. And God, as much as it doesn't make sense to me, I just believe that it's true. And that's how we uh, overthrow those efforts of the enemy to stop us. And again, um, you know, I'm part of God's family. I, I believe that. Even though I might feel unworthy to be part of God's family, God said I'm part of his family. So you see, this is how we progress. We progress personally by faith. But then we are not just individual Christians, but we are a family. We are a body, and we are part of a local church, and through the local church, God wants to do things 
in a community. God wants to do things, you know, around the world. Uh, it's, it's amazing how God will use a church. And it doesn't even have to be a, a huge church, you know, a rich church. God will use uh, a, a congregation of people. He will use a local congregation to literally have an impact on a place that most people in the congregation don't even know where it is. They don't really know much about the people, but somebody gets a vision for it. Somebody says, let's pray for this and let's support this and let's see if we can go on a mission trip here. And you know, God will use that church. God wants to work through his church collectively as well as our lives personally. And so for a church, there's, there's a place where a church has to exercise faith. We have to exercise faith uh, collectively. We have to step out. You know, there's a lot of pressure in society today to, you know, the church is okay as long as you guys just stay in your own zone. You know, you just stay over there. Don't come over here. This is our turf. We don't want you in this. Um, but, you know, God says, no, I want you to go over there. So as a church, you have to say, and this, of course, the church leadership have to have the vision and, you know, lead by faith. Like, hey, we're going to step out and we're going to go do something in this place. You know, I could tell you stories of things that are being done right now where people say, no, you can't do that. Mm-mm, that can't be done. No way. Uh, no, it's, it's not allowed. But guess what? God, God's doing it. When God gives permission, you can go anywhere God gives permission for you to go. Now, other people might say, no, no, you can't go. A government might say, no, you can't go. Uh, but if God says, no, I want you to step out, then by faith, we need to step out. So if it's stepping out, if it's sacrifice, sometimes we sacrifice as a church. We say, you know what? Man, we gotta give more. We, we, we believe that God wants to do something in this place and this is what it's gonna take to get it done. So as members of a congregation, we're gonna band together and say, you know what? We're gonna sacrifice something. And we're gonna, uh, you know, rather than, please ourselves with this. We're going to set aside what we would use for ourselves, and we're going to give it to this cause or to this mission, and we're going to see God do something there. In some cases, uh, God calls for a church to persevere in a place where it doesn't seem like there's much impact happening. And so the, you know, the faith there is to say, no, I think we're supposed to hold on. I think we're supposed to just stay put right where we're at, even though it seems like, you know, this is kind of a dead end and there's, there seems like there's so many other great opportunities over here, but we feel like God just wants us to, to stick it out with this. That, that's, that's faith. Sometimes it takes a real act of faith for that. So advancement of, of the gospel, how does this happen? It happens through this, I believe God. I believe that God wants us to do this. And, and again, you know, there's so many wonderful stories of how, uh, you know, people have just stepped out, churches, uh, you know, have stepped into things that just seemed impossible, but God said, you know, just trust me. And, and they've said, okay, Lord, it doesn't make sense. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you know, people step out and, and God is faithful. He comes through. It's amazing what he does. And so he does that with the church. A church collectively, as I'm saying, we have to, collectively as a body, we have to also function by faith. But then I want to take it to another level 
And this is just the level of the kingdom itself. And this is what I, I, I mean by this. What we're talking about here is just the conviction that God is at work and he wants to do greater things. Now, unfortunately, not everybody believes this who's a Christian. You know, I have met Christians in certain places and I've come into certain places all excited about a vision and I think God wants to do. And I've had local Christians say, you're crazy. No, that's never gonna happen. You know, no, God's not working here anymore. You know, the, the, church, the church has given up. And man, when the church gives up, that's a problem. And, and what, what does that indicate? It indicates there's a lack of faith because the church should always be, we should be optimistic not pessimistic. We should always be believing that, you know, God's at work in the world. Remember in Hebrews, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the person that comes to God must believe that he is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. And when it says it must believe that he is, I don't think that means that we must believe that God exists. I don't, I don't even think it takes faith to believe God exists. I think uh, common sense should teach you that, that God exists. Logic should teach you that God exists. There's a creation, there must be a creator. When it says that we must believe that God is, what I think it means is this. We must believe that God is present. We must believe that God is active. We must believe that God is at work in the world. You see, as the world grows darker, the gospel shines brighter, and faith says I believe God, therefore I'm gonna go despite what it looks like. Or I'm going to contribute to sending despite what it looks like. Or I'm gonna do uh, despite what it looks like, what the circumstances might be, or what the voices uh, you know, in the air might, might be saying. Now, as we look at this whole picture of faith from start to finish, like I was talking about here in the book of Acts, again, Think of how these guys must have felt in one sense when Jesus said to them, you are the light of the world. You are, uh, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Think about how they must have felt. And, and remember, now, I can say that to you today, and I'm just quoting Jesus. So Jesus says that to us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There's, you know, a fair number of us here in the room, and we might feel daunted by that, even ourselves, to just think, well, you know, we're kind of a small group here, and I don't know how, I don't know how that's going to work. But think of the guys that Jesus originally said that to. I mean, he's talking to 12 guys, and we know one of them, you know, didn't survive. He was a phony, and he, he was eventually uh, took himself out of the picture, Judas. But, you know, the Lord brought a few others in. But, you know, just think about, here's these guys and especially the Galileans among them. You know, the, the Galileans had never been outside of their country. They'd been to Jerusalem, but you know, they'd never been anywhere. And they were common people. Uh, you know, finally God brought a scholar into the mix with Paul. Uh, but apart from that, you know, they were fishermen and one guy was a tax collector and one guy was a, a kind of a revolutionary guy. And... Um, and they were, they were just ordinary people. And Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. They must have thought, you're kidding, right? What? How, how are we that? You know, salt preserves. It keeps, 
It keeps from corruption. You guys are gonna keep the world from corrupting. Light gives light. It, it exposes. It, it brings, you know, uh, it, it gets rid of the darkness. How are the, how's this little handful of guys gonna do this? Well, they did it. How did they do it? They did it by faith. That's the point. It, it's always going to happen by faith. And you know, here's the thing with, with living by faith. Faith is, is contrasted with, with sight and with feeling. Now, we, our, our natural tendency is to live by sight or feeling or to do what we do by sight or feeling. So I want to do things that I can see how it's going to work out. Yeah, I'm going to go do this, and, and man, I see how this is going to fit here, and that's going to do this, and man, we've got this, and it's great. I can, I can see it all. If you can see it all, guess what? You're not living by faith. There, there's going to be that, there's, just by its very nature, there's going to be that, that sort of fuzziness to it. It's going to be a little bit murky. You're, you're going to be looking at it like, gosh, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. I just don't, I just don't know how it's going to happen. See, that's, that's faith. That's, you step into that. Or again, you know, sight, feeling, they're different, but they're similar. You know, man, I, I just feel like this is going to be one thing. But, but you know, sometimes your, your feelings can be like, no, I, I feel like this is going to go bad. I feel like this is not going to work. But I also feel like God is telling me to do it. God is telling me to step out. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't pencil out. But you see, that's where faith comes in. If you can figure it all out, if you know already how you can do it, and you're confident that it's going to be done, guess what? Then you're not stepping out in faith. There has to be, at least to some degree, that element there. And God, listen, because remember, it, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Did you know that God is going to make you live by faith? Now, I don't like that. I would much prefer to live by sight and feeling. I like that. I can see things. Yeah, that makes sense. That's clear. Oh, yeah, I feel really good about that. Man, I really like that. But, you know, I have discovered in my own life that that's not the way it works. God, because God wants us dependent on him. And the way to get us to depend on him and not ourselves is to put us in circumstances or call us to things that we can't do. It's impossible. And if it's going to get done, <laughs> God's going to have to do it. And, and I'm just going to believe that he is going to do it. Um, years ago, I, I came across this fantastic quote from, um, this is a quote from a man named George Mueller. George Mueller, he's known in church history as uh, Mueller of Bristol. And the reason for that is Bristol is a city in England. And George Mueller, uh, by faith, he came as a, a, a missionary, really. He came from what we would know today as uh, Germany. And he came to England, and throughout his life, after pastoring a few churches, he, um, he fed and clothed and educated thousands of thousands of orphans in England. 
And he did it basically by faith. He's the guy, maybe you heard his name mentioned or you heard stories about him, where he was the guy who never uh, asked people for money. He would just ask God. God, you know we need this. And the Lord would just consistently, you know, over the, over the years, just provide for him. But he said this, and listen, it's important. He said this, he, he said, you will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. God gives us the promises in a quiet hour. God seals our covenants with great and gracious words. Then he steps back and waits to see how much we believe. Then he lets the tempter come, and the test seems to contradict all that he has spoken. It is then that faith wins the crown. That is the time to look up through the storm and among the trembling, frightened seamen cry, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And man, I think, wow. So he, he draws from the story that we read today. That's exactly what Paul did. In the midst of the storm, when everybody says, okay, we are done, we are sunk, we're all dying, Paul stands up and says, we're not. And you could be sure that some of the people in the crowd thought, who is this nut? You know, what is this guy? Of course we're gonna die. I mean, the ship is gonna sink. We're in a storm. We're in the, the middle of a hurricane. Euroclidon, that was a hurricane. They were in the middle of it. But Paul says, no, I want to tell you that God spoke to me and he told me that no one's going to lose their life and I believe what God told me. And you see, that's, that's it in the midst of the storm. And, and I love the way uh, Mueller describes this here. Um, first of all, of course, he says, we're never going to learn faith in comfortable circumstances. That's a reality. We're never going to learn faith in comfortable circumstances. Now, of course, that's, I don't like that. I like comfortable circumstances. Oh, God, make me, a, make me a man of faith. Oh, Lord, I want to be a person of faith. You know what you're praying for? You're praying for trouble. <laughs> you're praying for discomfort. You're praying for your life to be interrupted. But listen, don't stop praying because it's worth it. It is worth it in the end. It doesn't, when, you know, as you're going into it, and, you know, the great thing about God is, you know, he doesn't necessarily consult us or care what we think. Uh, he's going to get us where he wants us to go. And I've had so many experiences in my life where I thought, you know, had God told me in advance any of the details of what we were doing, I would have just opted out. Like, okay, that's all right, Lord. Yep. Glad you want to do that, but could you find somebody else? Because I don't really want to go through that. But that's the way it is. But then he says this here. He says that God gives us promises in a quiet hour. God seals our covenants with great and gracious words. Then he steps back and waits to see how much we believe. And that is so often the case. You know, we get these visions and we feel like, man, the Lord's going to do this. And oh, it's going to be so sweet. And, and then you get out there, you take the step, and it's just, you're met with opposition immediately. Everything starts going haywire. And of course, your temptation is to think, uh, I should have stayed where I was. I, I shouldn't have stepped out. And, and let me say this too, as we're talking about the advancement of the kingdom, and like I said, you know, there, there's two different ways to look at the world as a Christian. You can look at it through, the, through your own eyes, which will lead to pessimism. 
Or you can look at it through the eyes of faith and say, you know what? Despite all the crazy stuff that's going on, I believe that God is still at work. And did you know that historically, uh, God does his greatest work when there's uh, chaos and confusion among people? He he doesn't do his greatest work when everything's hunky-dory. Historically, it's when things are a disaster, when things are a mess, when things seem to be irreparable, this is when God so often works historically and steps in. But, you know, we we can be tempted. We can look around and and we can think that that's a hopeless situation. Those are hopeless people. Nothing could ever be done there. Man, forget it. You know, we're just doomed. It's, man, Lord, come and just get us out of this world. Well, Lord, what about the rapture? We thought it was going to be here already. And now it's just going from bad to worse. What does God want us to do? Does he want us to wring our hands or does he want us to throw our hands in the air in despair? No, he wants us to have faith. He wants us to believe that he's still at work. There's still more things to do. You know, a week ago or something, I I saw this article um, from the the Guardian. The Guardian is what uh, the the Guardian is to Britain what the New York Times is to us. And of course, I know these are international, but um, so the New York Times is. Uh, the most liberal paper in the country, no question about it, with an agenda to promote those kinds of ideas. So, in in other words, the New York Times isn't really promoting the gospel or Christian faith, right, too much. I mean, you know, occasionally they put an article in there and you think, wow, how did that get in there? Well, that happened with The Guardian. So The Guardian is the British equivalent. So I see this, this thing from The Guardian and it's a picture of these guys and you know, some of us have heard of them, uh, MS-13. MS-13 is a El Salvadoran gang, and they have people here. But there, uh, they largely control much of the country. Uh, they put El Salvador on the map as the, most, uh, the highest murder rate in the world. And so anyway, but here's this picture of these guys, and it says... Um, I think the caption was something like, um, you know, no hope or nothing that can be done um, kind of a thing. And then it said, um, accept God. The The only answer, no answer except God. And so it was an article. I read like the first paragraph. I was busy. I didn't have time, but I thought, no, this, this looks amazing. So I retweeted it. And then, um, but this morning it turned up in my feet again, and I realized there's a video on it, which I didn't even know. And so I watched this 12-minute video. Now, I've been to El Salvador a number of times. We have had ministry as a church. We've been ministering in El Salvador for decades. And so we've got a lot of ministry and stuff going on. But this 12-minute video was basically interviews with all of these former MS-13 gang members who have come to Christ. And they're telling the story. I mean, these guys get inducted into the, this gang and the 18th Street gang, 18th Street gang. Uh, they get inducted at the ages of like five, six, seven, eight years old. And by the time they're 10 or 11, they're killing people. And this is their, this is their life. And one guy said this, the only way out of MS-13 is prison, the hospital, or death. But then he said, but... The real way out is Jesus Christ. And so the guardian gives this story 
of how all of these MS-13 gang people are coming to Christ. And one of the guys that was being interviewed, a former gang member, he was saying, you know, there's 1,500 former MS-13 gang members worshiping Jesus in this prison. And man, you look at that and... You know, but you know, but the but you know, the question is like, what is the Guardian doing posting this? But listen, here's the thing. And like I said, you know, extreme left, like the New York Times, but when they see something that's real gospel, they they can't deny that there's something to that. And this is a point that I want to make. Listen, we have to be about the gospel. We have to be about the gospel, not about the politics and all of that kind of stuff. Because when we start getting into the, all that other political stuff, uh, you know, people don't want to hear it. It's, forget that. You know, we don't want to hear about your, your agenda. Uh, but man, when they hear the gospel and they see the gospel working and they see these guys who have, their lives have been transformed by Christ, this is powerful. But see, here's also the thing. Now, some Christians even would look on and say, that's a hopeless situation over there. That MS-13, man, that's just, that's, you know, that just is another indicator that we're sunk. It's just another indicator that it, it's over. Some Christians will do that. But other Christians will look and say, you know what? That is something that by faith, we believe that God wants to change. We believe that God wants to do a work, and so we're going to take a step out in faith. And in some cases, we're going to risk our lives. We're going to put ourselves on the line, but we're going to believe God. And that, that's what we're talking about here. That's what faith is all about. And this is the Christian life. It's the Christian life from the moment of conversion to your very last breath. It's a life of faith. And you know, when you're living the life of faith, as you can see from our study in the book of Acts, you know, you're living an adventure. And like any adventure, it's got its perils, it's got its, you know, dangers, it's got its moments where you're like, I don't know if I really signed up for this. But nevertheless, remember what Hebrews 11 tells us about. It's, it's that chapter that's really, you know, some, somebody has labeled it as the hall of faith. And what does it say? That through faith, they subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. You know, all of these things. They did this how? They did this by faith. And, and that hall of faith is, uh, you know, the author of Hebrews says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. And what, what he's getting, what he's wanting us to understand is that all of these heroes of the faith, they did what they did with less understanding of God than you have. See, their understanding of God was limited. Christ hadn't come yet. They didn't understand the full uh, implications of you know, what the Messiah would do for us and who he would be and how he would indwell us and how he'd be with us to the end of the world. They didn't understand any of that, but they did these amazing things by faith. And the author is saying, man, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are we doing? Let us lay aside every weight. Let's get rid of the sin that is slowing us down and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And listen, this is what we gotta do. You have to do this. 
Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't grow in your life as a Christian without faith. You've got to believe what God said, and you've got to appropriate it to your life. And we can't advance as a church without faith. We've got to believe that God is, is wanting to work. He's wanting to work in our community here and beyond our community. And, and of course, as many of you know, for many years, God has just given us a, a worldwide ministry. And he continues to open doors. He continues to bring new opportunities our way. And we want to continue to walk by faith and trust him and see what he's going to do. And it, it's so helpful if we just recognize that, you know, it, God does give us the promises. He shows us things. He, you know, he pulls us in through these these you know, visions that he gives us, but we just need to recognize that, you know, when we launch out, it's going to be a little bit different. Remember, Jesus said to Paul, Paul, you're going to, just like you testified for me in Jerusalem, you are going to testify in Rome. You're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to tell him about me. And the devil did not want Caesar to hear the gospel from Paul. And so he's doing everything to try to prevent that from happening. He's going to sink the ship and kill this guy. He's not going to make it. But God says, no, I'm going to get you there. And he does get him there. And he does share the gospel with Caesar. And it seems that that didn't impact Caesar. But what we do know is this from Paul's writings. It did impact the household of Caesar. Because Paul sends greetings from those who were part of Caesar's household. And so you see, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He's going to give us these promises. He wants to work in our lives. He wants to bring us into that place of peace and holiness and godliness. And all of it comes back down to, I believe God. I believe what God's word says about all of these things, and I'm going to act upon it. And so, Lord, help us to be the people in our generation who are doing what these people in their generation were doing. Lord, to be the people that believe you, to believe the people that trust you, to believe the people that take your word at uh, face value and say, uh, I, I believe that God said this and I believe that he meant it and therefore I'm gonna act upon it. And so Lord, that's, that's our prayer. Do that in our lives personally and do that with us collectively as a church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.